Yeah, there's been an unusual number of people this morning walking up to me and saying, I hope you got a good message today, preacher. They all knew what was coming in the music. All I knew to say back was, I hope I do too. We, uh, this, this service, I listen, even when I'm not in here, uh, Woods and I love listening to each other's sermons, which is how I know that uh, this service has spent a lot of time in the book of Luke uh, over the last little while, kind of in and out of it, not all at once, but uh, that, that's not always the most pleasant place to be. The book of Luke has some of those passages that just make us say, oh, I don't know that I want to hear that today. <laughs> make us preachers say, I don't know that I want to preach that today. Uh, it's got some, some things that are hard, both because of the content and because of the way they're, they're put out there for us. I was looking at the, the passage that we have today, and uh, I'm going to move this. Sorry, somebody. Uh, I was looking at the passage that we have today and uh, just realizing that it, it, for whatever reason, for me at least, it required a little bit different approach to the sermon today. You, you know, normally I present the, uh, the, the sermon, the scripture passage all at the front, and then kind of get into the sermon, uh, but fittingly for a sermon on the theme of rhythm uh, and the rhythms of our faith and life, there's gonna be a little bit different rhythm to this sermon where I'm gonna kind of work my way through the scripture. And to help me out, we've uh, upgraded our technology and it's probably gonna fail me even though it worked earlier. So I, I can move us through uh, the scripture passage as we go to it and, and we'll kind of move in and out of the passage today from Luke chapter 14 as we're talking about the uh, the rhythms of our family life and what God has to say about them. And we do it maybe in a passage that uh, doesn't seem the best suited for it. This, the passage, the scripture's title for today is Hate is All You Need. And uh, as we were meeting back there, somebody said, that seems like an ironic title for a sermon on family. Some of us, it's not that ironic. So, would you pray with me? Father, whether because of my words, or in spite of them, may your word be spoken this morning. Whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. We pick it up in Luke chapter 14, verse uh, 25, where it says, let's see if this works. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate mother and father, and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Some of y'all are thinking, I never knew I was so holy. <laughs> Look at I've been at this a while. And I know the stats, not just by surveys, but by my own experience of somebody here today who earlier this week shut the door but still couldn't keep the kids from hearing as they were shouting across the vast expanse of differences that they just can't seem to get over. And the frustration reached the point where one of you said those fateful words, this is all a mistake. And you had no idea you would come here and find Jesus waiting for you. Or the teenager here who stormed down the hall last Wednesday, just so sick and tired of their father. His disappointment of his derision or maybe just of his distrust. And when you rage down the hall and you slam the door behind you and you put your fist through the wall, you had no idea you were knocking on heaven's door. Or maybe it was just when you were sick of you. And maybe it just happened last night. 
when you realize that what is really wrong in the world is you, when you realize that all your good intentions and every kind act that you've ever done was this kind of emotional jujitsu in which you try and get love from others. You, you know all their pressure points, and so you know how to act in just the way that their knees buckle a little bit, and in that moment, you can mistake it for an act of love. But you realize deep down that you are repulsed by your own habitual manipulation and by every pose you've ever struck. And when that hate that always came out of you so easily towards everybody else, when it finally makes that inward turn and looks at you, you had no idea that Jesus, who has long known every twisted way of your heart, that he'd be sitting at the end of that path and he'd be waiting there and he'd be saying to you, welcome, follow me. Stay with me, be with me. We're talking today and throughout this month about finding rhythm. And today we're talking about doing that and we're, we're talking about how we find the faithful patterns of rhythm in our lives, whether they apply to, to faith, to family, to work, and to rest. Today we're focusing on family and that's a little bit tricky. It's tricky because, well, family is tricky. It's tricky for me to preach about because let's be honest, most of the family relationships in the Bible are pretty messed up. You ever tried to use the Bible as your guide to family relationships? There's some good advice there, but there's not many good examples, all right? It gives us good advice, but you won't find many people who follow it in the Bible. It's tricky to preach about family because family is tricky and because there is something tricky that is very particular and personal in your own family. One of those great Russian writers who said that happy families are boring because they're all the same, but each unhappy family is unhappy in its own unique way. And it's tricky for me to preach about family because there's probably no other area in our lives where we feel so acutely the gap between what we want and what we imagine and what really is. Please don't get me wrong. I am not saying that this is all about difficulty and disappointment. That's not even my own experience of family. I stand in front of you as somebody who realizes that I owe almost every good thing about who I am to family. The ones who showed me the faith, who live it out for me. I am incredibly blessed by my relationship with my parents, with my in-laws, my brother, my sisters, uh, my, uh, my wife and our children. Like these are God's most generous gifts of grace to me in my life. But that makes me feel it all the more powerfully when they're going through something that I can't fix. Or when it's something I've done that's the reason it can't get fixed. When I've let them down. See, all I want is for everything to be so good for them. I want green pastures and I want still waters and I want us to be walking in time with one another down the paths of righteousness. Anything else, anything less than that just hits me in the gut like, ugh. That's what makes this so tricky. The stakes are so high because family is where we want to invest our love. And love, if you haven't noticed, it can be so very deadly. There are all manner of sins against our neighbors and against God that we have justified in the name of love. We will pollute for our kids. We will hoard for our kids. We are jealous for our loved ones. And there are other loves in this world that are less noble but just as deadly. Last week in the festival service, I preached on the rich young ruler who asked for eternal life. 
but couldn't leave his wealth. He just, he loved it so much. Every congregation that ever died, died defending what it loved. Whether that was a, a building or a memory or a pastor or an ancestor rolling in some grave. Love is dangerous. And Jesus doesn't stay still. If we love him enough to follow him, it is always going to feel like, like hate to someone because we're leaving. We're moving on. We're staying close to him. And Jesus walks into the middle of everything that we think about love and hate and everything that we are feeling, and he says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You probably know this, but Jesus never particularly loved the cross. It wasn't his favorite thing in the world. He carried the cross, he died on the cross, he fell under the weight of it, he hated every bit of it. Hebrews 12 tells us that Jesus endured the cross and despised its shame, but he was willing to bear with it until that shame became the definitive example of his love for you. He carried that cross, which was not what he loved, out of his love for you. Almost 10 years ago, I found myself in the kitchen just crying unaccountably as I was doing the dishes I was listening to a podcast from a woman named Krista Tippett. She's gonna be here next week. You should come hear her. And she happened to be having as her guest that night one of my spiritual heroes, a man named Jean Vanier. Some of y'all here, how many of you have heard of the L'Arche home that's here in Mobile? Some of you know it. They have a lot of their meetings here. L'Arche is a worldwide movement of homes where people uh, who are able-bodied and able-minded choose to commit their lives to living alongside those who are mentally and physically challenged and choose to be their family. That movement was started by Jean Vanier in Paris a little over 50 years ago. Vanier had everything going for him. He was uh, an up-and-coming scholar. He was a, na- uh, a former commander in the Navy. He could do pretty much anything he wanted, and he chose to devote his life to living alongside first these two mentally challenged men who'd just been shunted into an asylum in Paris. He spent the next 50 years of his life with them and with the community that came up around them. And as I was listening to him in this interview on uh, Speaking of Faith, Krista Tippett's old podcast, uh, uh, as I was listening to it, it wasn't any one thing that he said that had me crying. It was just the, the totality of his witness, the life that he has lived, and the way he's poured himself out for these people, and he, the way he kept coming back again and again to his love and his profound need for Jesus in order to do what he does. In the interview, Vanier was reflecting on all, that, uh, all the reasons that people tend to marginalize the mentally handicapped, why we put them to the side. And he noted how fearful we are of our own weakness. He said, how afraid we are that we might become like those we consider weak. And he continued on by saying, we will continue to despise people until we have recognized, loved, and accepted what is despicable in ourselves. And what Jesus is offering us is the strength to hold these two incredible things together at the same time. That some of it is my fault. That some of it is despicable that I've done and that even that is welcome in the presence of Christ. Vanier went on to go and say that the, the most important thing that people do at large community is they eat together. Because at the table, 
People have often, who've often experienced rejection their whole lives find someone who wants to just sit with them and say, welcome. We are so glad that you are here. And when I think about the rhythms of family life, I think that the very first, the most faithful thing that we can offer one another is a rhythm of confession and forgiveness and welcome. Confession and forgiveness are the downbeat. They are the one-two. They are the left-right step of staying close to Jesus. And I'm not talking about having a weekly time set aside in your family where we do confession. All right, next one in the living room. I'm talking about a rhythm that's kind of underlying all of our conversations. I'm talking about having a rhythm in all those conversations that has room to say, here is the place where your weakness is welcome. Here is where you can say, I messed up and I need help. And when you say that, you know the person who hears it won't hold it against you. It's the place where we can carry our crosses and hear each other say, I am so glad just to be with you. The whole you, the honest you, the one who's told me the full truth. I wanna be real clear, I'm not just talking to parents here about giving room for your children to confess to you. That's important, but I'm also talking to the parents here and asking you to confess to your children. I'm asking the children here to forgive your parents when they come to you and they are willing to say, hey, I messed up here. I didn't get that quite right. Say, I am far more aware of all the ways that I fall short as a parent than I am of my own virtues. So far be it from me to say that I have any strengths as a parent. But I can tell you one thing that Jennifer and I value, that we emphasize, even if I'm not the best at it. One of those things is being honest with our kids, which means sharing true good news with them. It means saying things like, I love you, and mommy loves you, and Jesus loves you most of all. But it also means sharing honestly when we haven't gotten quite right. For us, honesty has meant a lot of slow walks up the stairs to go into a bedroom and to say, hey, kid, I am so sorry I cut you off earlier. I was not listening very well. I am so sorry that I botched that thing that you were so looking forward to. I tell you, you never know how close Jesus is until you need him right there beside you while you are waiting to hear the voice of forgiveness in your child's own mouth. And I'll also add this note, that any family that doesn't develop a rhythm of confession and forgiveness and welcome, any family that can't get into this habit of speech is going to be a family that will never know the truth because people won't risk the truth in a place where they don't believe there is forgiveness possible. Unless you are certain that you can be forgiven for even the things you didn't mean to say, then you'll be too scared to tell the truth. Truth needs forgiveness like a fire needs air. But if we can walk in this rhythm of confession and forgiveness, then we can carry our crosses together. We can bear those things that we are otherwise ashamed to show the rest of the world, and we can know that we are in it for the long haul together. And Jesus has something to say about the long haul as well. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. They'll say this person who began to build wasn't able to finish. 
Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one who's coming against him with 20,000? And if he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off. He will ask for terms of peace. And in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? I'm up here to talk to you about developing a faithful rhythm for your family lives, whether that's with your children or your parents, whether they're in the home or not, whether that's all long gone. And my deepest temptation is to tell you that I have figured out some sort of rhythm, some sort of pattern, some sort of scheduling technique that's gonna make it all fit. It's gonna make it all work out. My deepest temptation is to tell you that if you plan your meals at this particular time and you download this app and you make sure you see your therapist once every other week, that you're gonna fit it all in, all those things that you want for you, for your family, for the world at large. And by the way, all those things are good. Schedules and apps and therapists. I'm a fan of all of them. But... There are going to be times, and I've seen this through experience in ministry with a whole lot of families, in a lifetime of reading the Bible, when following is going to mean not trying to cram more in or figure out how to manage it all, but there are going to be times when following looks like leaving, leaving aside something in order to choose the best thing. Following means saying, if we don't have time to pray together, then something's gotta give. Following means saying, if, I, if making the worship of God a priority means skipping out on this invitation or this hobby, well, then that's the price that we're willing to pay. Because here's the thing, no matter how, many, how joyfully we make the choice to follow Jesus, it's always gonna feel like hate to somebody. It's always gonna feel like we're leaving them or we're judging them or, or we think that they are wrong for what they're doing. Someone will always worry that you're leaving them behind, that you think you're too good or that they're too bad for the choices that they've made. But you'll know better. And your family can know better too. I learned it once in a Dave Ramsey study a long, long time ago and I've shared it in every counseling session I've ever had before a wedding since. Couples who've been together for over 10 years are given a list of about 30 adjectives to describe themselves, and they pick the ones they think best fit their family. Consistently, over years and years of study, the word that is chosen most often by the happiest families is the word team. They're committed to something bigger than themselves. They're committed to something, to the best thing, and they understand that sometimes that means leaving a few things behind in order to go after what matters most. And you can live into a rhythm of confession and forgiveness and honesty and hospitality by reminding each other of what matters most and reminding each other that none of us is good enough to get there on our own. And you can remind each other that the only reason you're even here is because Jesus was waiting and calling and welcoming you before you even knew where to look. And you can know that whatever you have to give up in order to follow Jesus was really what kept you from loving your mother and father and spouse and children and neighbor and light and beauty and laughter and even yourself in the way they should be loved. 
to love them not for their strength or how they make you look or because they're useful to you, but to love them simply because they are. Because they are made and they are precious in God's own sight. And you can come to love God in the same way. Not because of what he does for you, though he does so many wonderful things. But because he is. And he was waiting for you. Loving you even when you didn't know how to love yourself. If you can come to know that kind of love in your family, in your relationship with God, then let the haters think whatever they want about your choices. When they figure it out, God will be waiting for them too. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.